Good morning, church family. I pray that you are all well, especially since today is the beginning of Vacation Bible School here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, and we are all going to be putting in a lot of work together this week, aren't we? So we will ask for the Lord's grace, knowing that it will be sufficient as we as a church body do our best to serve the King Jesus Christ this week and to reach out in love to our community this week as well. Nevertheless, before we get to VBS tonight, let's at this time prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the Word of God together this morning, shall we? For today we will be wrapping up the seventh chapter in the Gospel of Mark by looking specifically today at verses 31 through 37, or when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ heals that of a deaf man. However, before we get to that church, I just want to make sure that we all have the proper context in mind here, since a lot has taken place throughout chapter 7 in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus Christ initially, church, was confronted by that of the scribes and the Pharisees who came down from Jerusalem and who gathered around Jesus Christ and who began chastising that of Jesus Christ because his disciples were eating with hands that were defiled or with hands that were unclean, and in essence were breaking the traditions of the elders or these man-made legalistic laws and commands. To which Jesus Christ then, he responds back to the scribes and the Pharisees here in verse 6 by calling them that of hypocrites, and by further pointing out to them in verse 8 that they were actually the ones who were leaving the commandments of God and instead holding fast to the traditions of men. And yet Jesus Christ, he does not stop there, because he goes on then to call a group of people over to himself and begins then in verse 18 to explain to them that whatever goes into a person from the outside does not defile them, but instead, verse 20, it's what comes out of a person that ultimately defiles them, and that what truly defiles a person or what truly makes a person unclean before God is not that of food or drink, but instead it's a matter of the heart. And thus the only way a person can truly be seen as clean or as undefiled before God is not by keeping a certain set of laws or commands or by following a certain set of rules or by eating or not eating a certain type of food, but instead it's by God giving to that person a new heart so that by grace they can come to faith in Jesus Christ. And thus in light of this clean verse unclean discussion here, if you will. Jesus Christ then, he leaves the region of Galilee and heads, verse 24, off to the predominantly unclean Gentile region of Tyre and Sidon. And while he's there, a Gentile woman church comes to him and begs him to heal that of her daughter who was possessed by a demon. To which Jesus Christ then, he says to her in verse 27, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. In essence, making clear here that the priority of his ministry at this time was to feed that of Israel first, or to give the good news of the kingdom of God to that of the Jew first, before that of the Gentile. 
However, this persistent and persevering Gentile woman, she then humbly and meekly and respectfully then in faith responds back to Jesus Christ here in verse 28 by saying to him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In essence, acknowledging here that she knows that she is not part of Israel and thus not privy to the same advantages of the Jews at this time, and yet still is willing to beg Jesus Christ here for just a crumb of his mercy and grace to fall from the table here, since she knows that just one crumb of the mercy of Jesus Christ will be enough to satisfy her and to ultimately heal that of her daughter. To which Jesus Christ then, he responds back to this woman here, By saying to her, as the Gospel of Matthew puts it, O woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire, and like that, this woman's daughter is healed. Which begins displaying the fact, church, that although the kingdom of God was indeed to go to the Jew first, that the kingdom of God was not only for the Jew, but also for that of the Gentile world as well. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. For the Messiah, Jesus Christ, can make the deaf hear, the mute speak, and quite honestly do all things well. For the Messiah, Jesus Christ, can make the deaf hear, the mute speak, and quite honestly do all things well. Therefore, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you this morning, and to feel free at this time to turn your brand new Bible to page 843, and to join us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 7 this morning, church, and we'll be wrapping up this glorious chapter by looking specifically today at verses 31 through 37, where John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we have sang this morning, prayed this morning for the forgiveness of our sins, knowing that we have 
a perfect substitute who has paid the price for our sins. Father, I pray that this text this morning just continues to humble us this morning, knowing that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who has taken us from being dead in our sins to alive in Jesus Christ, from mute and unable to confess the things of God to now proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified, to being deaf to all the things of God, and now able to hear the gospel preached. Father, I pray that this text, first and foremost, humbles each and every one of these dear children of yours here this morning. Father, that it leads us not to puffiness or to ego or to thinking higher of ourselves, but Lord, that we devote our lives to seeing you increased, to being the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ, to being like Jesus Christ, willing to reach out to the world, to engage the world, to touch even that of the sinner of this world with this gospel, knowing that you, God, can unplug the ears of the deaf, untie the tongue of the mute, so that they can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, let us be humbled by this text, strengthened and emboldened by this text, and I pray, Father, this morning that you send your Spirit to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to receive, and I pray that you help my lisping and stammering tongue to help feed, encourage, and to uplift this beautiful congregation of yours here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church that was purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Do this wonderful work, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah who can unplug the ears of the deaf and make the mute man sing for joy. Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah who can unplug the ears of the deaf and make the mute man sing for joy. Verses 31 through 35, which reads, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. So as we see here, church, Jesus Christ, he has continued ministering throughout the regions of the Gentiles by verse 31, leaving that of Tyre and heading northbound to Sidon, which was about 20 miles away, only to then take a long southeasterly journey into the region of the Decapolis, which was located, church, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, which when you put it all together here would have been approximately about a 120-mile journey in kind of a horseshoe-shaped direction. And Jesus Christ, he likely traveled this rather unusual and elongated path for a couple of reasons. 
The first being to continue to avoid that of the antagonistic scribes and the Pharisees here. And the second being in order to continue to reach out to and to minister to that of the Gentile world as well. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ still ends up here in verse 31 in this region of the Decapolis, which was, mind you, church, a largely Gentile-populated area and was also a region, church, that would have been at least somewhat familiar with Jesus Christ here as well. And I say that because the demon-possessed man who Jesus Christ healed all the way back in Mark chapter 5, that he then once healed, as verse 20 puts it, went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus Christ had done for him. And thus, not surprisingly then, that when Jesus Christ does indeed come to that of the region of the Decapolis, some people then bring a man to Jesus Christ who was deaf and who had a speech impediment. Deaf as in he was unable to hear or that his hearing was severely impaired, and a speech impediment, as in he could hardly talk or that it was very difficult for him to talk. And they bring him to Jesus Christ here in verse 32, begging him at this time to lay his hand on this man, indicating that they ultimately, church, wanted Jesus Christ to heal this man. And Jesus Christ here, church, who at this point in the Gospel of Mark has taken Simon Peter's mother-in-law by the hand and instantly healed her and said to the paralytic man, rise, pick up your bed and walk, and completely healed him and even casted a demon out of a Gentile woman's daughter from a distance and totally healed her as well. And yet here, Jesus Christ instead, church, actually takes this blind and this speech-impaired man privately aside here, and he then, verse 33, put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touches this man's tongue. Now, in all honesty, we do not know, church, exactly why Jesus Christ put his fingers into this man's ears and seemingly spit into his own hand before touching this man's tongue. However, I tend to side with the scholarship that believes that the reason why Jesus Christ did all of this was because, as Mark Lane describes, that Jesus Christ was entering here into this man's mental world, and that the stretching open of this man's ears and the touching of this man's tongue was seemingly Jesus' way of indicating to the man here that he should expect healing at this time from the one who was standing before him, that being Jesus Christ. Consequently, as we see then in verse 34, Jesus Christ then, he looks up to heaven as if to be praying to his Father God here, and then sighs as if to be displaying his compassion and empathy for this man here, and then says to the man in verse 34, Ephatha which means be opened in Aramaic. And like that, as we then see in verse 35, this man's ears, they were open and his tongue was released and that this man was now miraculously, church, able to hear clearly and able to speak without any trouble at all. And yet, the absolute beauty of this text, church, or the overall depth of this passage, church, for it most certainly does not end there. 
And I say that because this deaf man who had a speech impediment or who was hardly able to speak, for the Greek word used for speech impediment here in the text is that of magilalas, which only appears one other time in the Scriptures, church, that being in Isaiah 35 where Isaiah prophesizes about a messianic age church or about a time when the Messiah would come. In Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped and the lame man will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute, the Magilalas church, will sing for joy. And thus, in essence, the gospel writer John Mark here, for he most certainly then seems to be recalling that of Isaiah Isaiah 35 here, in order to connect for his readers, as R.C. Sproul writes, Jesus Christ to this messianic prophecy here, and thus to the Messiah here as well. For as the late John Henry Byrne shared, William Carey, the father of modern missions, that while he was in Calcutta, he found a man who had not spoken a word for over four years due to making a vow of perpetual silence, for absolutely nothing could open this man's mouth until he happened to come across a piece of gospel literature, where then out of nowhere this man's tongue was seemingly let loose, for he then threw out all of his idols and all of his badges of superstition and humbly became a partaker of the grace of Jesus Christ. And yet for many professing Christians today, for they are as mute to confessing the things of God as if they themselves had taken a vow of silence, since it is only because or since it is only possible to have the tongue of confession after Jesus Christ truly does touch and warm a person's heart. And thus I just want to make sure that we all realize here, Brother Christian, and all see the connection here, Sister Christian, that just like this deaf man in our text today, and just like this speech-impaired man in our text today, that before God in his mercy came to each and every one of us, that we too, Christian, were deaf to the things of God, and dumb to the things of God, unable to hear the things of God, and completely incapable of ever confessing Jesus Christ as the Son of God, until the day, Christian, that God in his mercy removed the plugs from our ears and the shackles from our tongue, so that we could indeed hear, Christian, the glory of Christ crucified, the triumph of Christ raised, and the eternal majesty that Jesus Christ will come again and thus confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Therefore, be in all of your God this morning, church, who in love removed the plugs from your ears, the shackles from your tongue, the hardness from your heart, and who gave you a new heart also that you could become Christian part of the family of God forever. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. Christian, find absolute peace in the fact that your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ does all things well. Christian, find absolute peace in the fact that your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ does all things well. Verses 36 and 37. 
And Jesus charged them to tell no one. And the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So again, church, just as we have seen, over and over and over again throughout the Gospel of Mark, some people here brought their sick to Jesus Christ, and they begged him, verse 32, for healing. To which Jesus Christ, as he has done time and time again throughout the Gospel of Mark, heals the man here. And then as we have also seen throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus Christ also then charges the people here, verse 36, to tell no one. Likely because, as I have mentioned before, Jesus Christ does not simply want to be known at this time merely as some kind of miracle man who can only heal people physically. Nevertheless, as we go on to see in verse 37, the more that he, Jesus Christ, charged them to not tell anyone about this miracle, the more zealously then they proclaimed it and spread the news of it. Since verse 37, they were literally, church, astonished beyond measure in that they were overwhelmed with excitement, thoroughly amazed, utterly astounded, and left in complete and absolute awe, saying things like verse 37, that he has done all things well and even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, as previously mentioned, church, John Mark, the author of the gospel of Mark, for he most certainly here seems to be recalling that of Isaiah 35, in order to connect for his readers here, Jesus Christ, to this messianic prophecy. However, John Mark also here, church, seems to be recalling in verse 37 that of the creation account as well. And I say that because if you can remember all the way back to the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, church, for it was there where God said, let there be light, and there was light. And it was there where God, furthermore, church, separated the water from the ground and made the earth sprout with vegetation and made the sun, the moon, and the stars and then made the birds, the sea creatures, the livestock, and all the beasts of the earth only to then make mankind in his own image and in his own likeness to which as we then see at the end of Genesis chapter 1 that it was all good. And that's what John Mark seems to be doing here, as James Edwards so beautifully explains, is showcasing to his readers here that Jesus' work in redemption is just like the Father's work in creation, in that it is done well and will leave absolutely nothing, church, to be desired. Therefore, in light of that, Christian, let us then never fail to forget that in the case of our redemption and salvation and justification, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done all things well, and not just some things well, nor just a couple things well, or most things well, or nearly all things well, but that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done all things perfectly and wonderfully well, and thus find complete comfort and peace peace and assurance this morning, Christian, in the very fact that every step of your redemption from the perfect life of Jesus Christ to the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ to your purification via the precious blood of Jesus Christ was indeed done and accomplished for you, Christian, perfectly and wonderfully well. 
and us as we begin to close this morning, church. I want to begin with the non-Christian who was here first. And quite honestly, non-Christian, ask you at this time, for who exactly do you want to place your trust in before you stand before your holy and righteous God? For do you want to place your trust in yourself this morning? A person, non-Christian, who breaks the law of God each and every day, which ultimately then will lead to that of eternal death? Or do you want to place your trust, non-Christian, in the only Son of God, in the anointed one of God, and in the King of the kingdom of God, who in securing eternal redemption for the very children of God did all things wonderfully and perfectly well, in that he, Jesus Christ, came into this world, non-Christian, as truly God and as truly man, and initially lived for us the life that we could never live, and that the law of God that we as sinners break over and over again each and every day, Jesus Jesus Christ, he never broke that law once, but instead lived a life here on earth that was holy and righteous and perfect and good and thus fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, non-Christian, totally and comprehensively all for the very children of God. However, living a sinless life here on earth, for that in and of itself was not enough, non-Christian, to save sinners from their sins. And I say that because in order for sinners to be saved from their sins, a debt most definitely needs to be paid or a sacrifice most certainly needs to be made, which Jesus Christ then ultimately made. However, that sacrifice that Jesus Christ made non-Christian, it was that of himself. And that he, Jesus Christ, willingly laid down his life on a cross at Calvary and died a sinner's death in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself, non-Christian, never, ever sinned. And thus, because Jesus Christ, then non-Christian, never, ever sinned, and furthermore, because God the Father then accepted Jesus Christ as a perfect sacrifice on behalf of his children, sin and death then non-Christian, quite frankly, did not have the power to keep the sinless Son of God dead. And thus, three days later, Jesus Christ then, non-Christian, for he did not stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead he rose from the grave and thus displayed to the world that he had indeed defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. And thus, let today be the day, non Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Jesus Christ, and today will be the day, I promise you, that you will be forgiven of your sins and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, for as we close this morning, I'd like to do so by briefly considering the compassion of Jesus Christ here. 
And I want to do so because as we began this narrative all the way back at the beginning of chapter 7, wrestling with this concept of individuals being deemed as clean or unclean, or as defiled or undefiled, based on what man-made, legalistic laws and traditions they would keep or not keep, Jesus Christ then, for he not only ignored those notions, but he also then decided to go into the regions of these unclean Gentiles and engage these Gentiles and reach out to these Gentiles and even lovingly touch that of these Gentiles as well, which, as Kent Hughes writes, is absolutely necessary for healthy and authentic Christianity today. And that while we must still send missionaries and give our money to the church for missions, we cannot touch by proxy. And thus, when faced with a need right before him, Jesus Christ, for he did not ask Peter here to be his surrogate hands, nor did he just throw some money at the issue here, but instead, true compassion, it reaches out. And it reaches out, church, not only to those who are Christian, and not only to those who are straight, and not only to those who don't swear, or don't drink, or don't fornicate, or who don't watch that of pornography, but instead true Christian love and compassion, it reaches out, church, even to those who are sinners, even to those who are lost, even to those who are still blind, deaf, dead, and dumb to all the things of God, since that is, church, the way of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Or to paraphrase a story from the late D.L. Moody here. For there once was a missionary in London who went out of his way one day to find an 85-year-old woman who was not a Christian and who was a notorious sinner. However, after the missionary had prayed with her about receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ, she responded then by, back in prayer by merely saying, Dear God, I thank you for going out of your way to find me on this day. Which should not come as a surprise to us, church, since even Jesus Christ himself said in Mark chapter 2 that he came into this world not to call the righteous, but that of sinners. And thus do not ever be afraid, brother Christian, sister Christian, to lovingly engage the sinner, or show compassion to the lost, or meet the needs of the unrighteous, or willingly reach out and touch those who are far from God with the very gospel of God, since that is the exact type of person, church, that Jesus Christ came into this world to save. For we have become so good Christian at seeing the homosexual, for example, and condemning them and believing that God could never save them, or the transgender, for example, and rejecting them and thinking that God would never reject generate them, or whatever else is the invoke Christian sin of the month is to condemn, and deciding that we don't need to love them since we presume, Christian, that God would never redeem them. And thus, if that is any of us here this morning, church, not reaching out to sinners because we think that they are too far from God and thus are unsavable, then quite frankly, then we need to repent of our sin for having far too low of a view of God and the redemptive world 
work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, when we do indeed then, Christian, see someone in need of the gospel of God, let us willingly then, Christian, seek them and engage them and reach out to them and lovingly try to touch them with the only message that can save them from their very sins, that being the good news of the kingdom of God. Because if that was the practice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, while he walked this earth, then it most assuredly should be the practice of the children of God today. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body be humbled by this text this morning, and that we understand that before God in his mercy unplugged our ears and untangled our tongues, that we were unable to hear the gospel of God and confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And that the work of our salvation, Christian, was only accomplished for us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of the perfect and redemptive work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who did all things perfectly and wonderfully well. And thus, let those facts not us up this morning, Father, or calls us to boast this morning, Father, but instead let them humble us this morning, Father, to the point that we as the children of God now willingly be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ and follow in his footsteps as we willingly reach out and engage and touch those who are still dead in their sins with the gospel of God, knowing full well that you, Father, have the power to unplug their ears to that message to soften their hearts to that message and to untangle their tongues so that they can confess that message and thus give us the grace and the courage needed, Lord, to share your gospel faithfully with the unredeemed since the kingdom of God will surely grow, church, even amongst the most unlikely people of this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we can cling to a text like this because we know as the redeemed that we have only been saved by grace alone. By your grace alone, God, we were saved. For at one point we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But you, God, gave us grace so that we could come to faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And as such, it is the most wonderful gift that we could ever receive. So, Father, let us be willing then to humble ourselves as we preach Christ crucified to this world, knowing that you save sinners you save people who are dead in your sin, their sins. You give them a new heart. You remove their heart of stone and you give them a heart of flesh so that they can hear the gospel preached and respond in faith to it so they can confess with their tongues that Jesus is Lord. Thus let us understand the work of the redemption of Jesus Christ in our lives and then as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, let us be faithful then to not turn away from the world to not look down on the world, to condemn the world, but to be willing to bring gospel light to the world. And Father, watch you unplug the ears of the deaf and untangle the tongues of the mute. To you be the glory, Father, forever and ever. Amen.